All right. Thank you, worship team. Okay. Is there another song, or is it just me? That's three. Okay. I wasn't counting. I was walking around. Now my old buddy. I'm going to climb up on this stand. <sighs> I see you. <laughs> Paul, can I get your stand there? Yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks, man. So I hope you can hear us okay in the back. Um, we are pushing as much as we can here. We may have to figure out how to push more next week, or we'll see what God does, okay? So today I, uh, let me pray. Let's do that. Look at this big hole God gave us in the rain. That's pretty good, huh? <clears throat> Father God, thank you. I pray that you would make all the technology work. I pray that the stream comes through well for those who are uh, tuning in from home or even from their own cars right now. And I just ask that you would also awaken us to uh, you, to your will, to obedience, and Father, to just the amazing joy and satisfaction of living life in the way that God says and not in the way that we say. And I need help with this, and I am challenged by this, and I just ask that you would guide me through today's message, help me not to cover things I don't need to, but to cover the things that... Uh, are helpful and beneficial, and also that our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning. Okay. We apologize for all the challenges we're facing and all these live streams and all that stuff. And uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to jump right into the Word and read a very encouraging piece of Scripture. I'm just kidding, actually. Ecclesiastes 1, 8 through 11. It says, Everything is wearisome beyond description. Can I get an amen? <laughs> no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. The preacher of Ecclesiastes was not an optimist. So if you are looking for a text or a book to encourage you, it's probably not Ecclesiastes. But I tell you what we do find in there. We find just some simple wisdom, secular wisdom actually, and it can really bless us. One of the things as we're going through uh, what I am now coining this phrase, the Panic-demic 2020. Do you like that? Panic-demic 2020. Okay, no one likes it. I'm just going to use it myself. <laughs> so as I, as I was chewing on what this thing is and what it means, uh, I, I like history. I like to read history. I wish I could retain it a little better. I, uh, I've said this before, but I had a history teacher in junior high I can't believe I remember anything from junior high, but I, he used to always say, the only thing men learn from history is that men don't learn from history. So I, I tried to disprove him, and I tried to know my history a little bit. And so I did a little bit of reading. I have uh, always had an interest in, in pandemics, actually, of the past. And so I did a little reading on the Spanish flu, 1917, 18, and 19. And I, I made some connections 
And one of those was that the Spanish flu of the late, uh, late 19-teens was a precursor to the 1920s, the roaring 20s. And what happened was all those people who came out of World War I that many historians have argued was ended a bit more prematurely because of the Spanish flu. So people came out of these seasons where they were, uh, you know, there was social distancing going on. Churches were having the same problem then that we're having today. And they came out of that period and they entered the 20s. And in the 20s, America was beginning to lay a foundation that we are reaping the fruits of today, whether those fruits you would consider good or bad. And so the 20s were this time where uh, things changed in the workplace. Uh, the minimum wage laws came out in the 1910s. And now the issue became not about uh, how many hours a person could work, but the productivity language began to be used. Now, for you guys who've worked in corporate America, you know all about productivity language. They want to get as much out of you as fast as possible so they can pay you as little as possible. And I believe that set a stage for many of the things that we are living through today. And so they, America went through the 20s and had a high old time. <laughs> the, the stock market climbed. Things, everyone was having fun. Society grew. Speakeasies became a thing because of prohibition. And, and America just changed. And I think it kind of laid a foundation for some of the challenges we're facing today. But the problem with the 20s is that 19, the 20s, the roaring 20s, ended in October of 1929 when America entered the Great Depression. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like to not do that again. I wish there were a way we could stop repeating history. So, as I come to this, a new series I'm starting today called Killing It Without Killing Yourself, I, I want to challenge myself first. got to understand... Most of the sermons that I share are actually for me. So I want to challenge myself first to come out of this thing differently than I entered this thing. I want to learn the lesson. If I'm going to endure the trial, I want to learn the lesson that should come out of the trial. How about you? <clears throat> so... Today, that's what I want to talk about, and the question I'm asking myself in this series is, what if the next 10 years requires a version of Michael Maynard that is better than the version of Michael of the last 10 years? What if I need to be more spiritual and holy? What if I need to be stronger? What if I need to be tougher? What if I need to be smarter? What if I need to grow for the future that God is about to give us and give me, which will be a gift? You need to understand whatever future God has for us, it will be a gift. What kind of person do I need to be to prepare for that, to walk in to that. And I am seriously, our whole family is going through a season right now of reflection, 
of different kinds of inputs in our life and more serious spirituality. Christian and I have had some amazing conversations about what God has for us in the future. And so we want to be ready for that. So that being said, let's jump into what we want to talk about today. Now, this we try to keep these sermons out here in the parking lot short because of the bathroom issue. Uh, but God cleared the sky, so I'm just going to go until you leave. I'm just kidding. I probably will quit before then. All right. Because uh, I'm always thinking, oh, man, I need to cut something. But I, I don't want to do that today. I want to start out, and I want to tell you about a guy named Rehoboam. Because there was a time in Israel's history that everything changed. And, and I, am, I guess I am arguing that we are at a time in history where everything is changing. We are not going to come out, and you can disagree with me. You are free to do so, at least so far. <laughs> you are free to disagree with me. But I do not believe that the world on the other side of Panademic 2020 is going to be the same. I think we're going to have some changes that come. And Israel was in a place like that when King Solomon died. I'll tell you the story. I'll read one scripture out of it, and I'm... Considering uh, Second Chronicles chapter ten and eleven is the background of my story, but in Second Chronicles ten, Solomon had died, and his son Rehoboam takes the throne. Now, when Rehoboam takes the throne, he he thinks things are going to continue business as usual. Status quo is going to hang on, and he's going to enjoy the same liberty, the same rule, and the same benefits that his wise father Solomon enjoyed. But what happened was not expected. The nation of Israel came before Rehoboam when he is now king and <clears throat> threw down his podium, not really, but figuratively, so we'll use that in the sermon, okay? And basically the nation of Israel said, hey, we've enjoyed the wealth of King Solomon, but he was hard on us, and we'd like life a little easier. So King Rehoboam went to his older consultants and said, what should I do? Should I make their life easier? And the older consultants who'd served under Solomon, Solomon said, you should make their life easier. If you do that, they will submit to you and we'll have a great nation. But Rehoboam was a young king, and sometimes young men like to hear from other young men, so that's what he did. He went to his young counselors. And he went, when he went to the young counselors, he said, hey, what should I do? Should I make their life easier or what? And his young counselors came back and said, no, you should not make their life easier. You should smack them around a little bit. You should teach them who's the boss. <laughs> so King Rehoboam went back to the people and all the, the bravado of youth and its ignorance. And he went to the people and said, I'll, I'll show you who's boss and what happened in that moment is that the people showed Rehoboam who was boss. And I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's something our founding fathers of the United States understood, was that the people are what matters. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Rehoboam, my hood is trying to cover my glorious high hairline. We can't have that. I need, I need the lighting. Um, so, Rehoboam... The nation of Israel split that day. They should have had a civil war. In fact, that's what was going to happen. So the nation of Israel had been one country until Rehoboam, and now the ten kingdoms of the north split off on their own, and the, the kingdom of the south, Judah, and then I guess you could say the Levites stuck with Judah a bit. They formed a southern kingdom. 
And Rehoboam was about to go to war to put the kingdom back together. But then the word of God came to Rehoboam, and I'll read that to you. His prophet came to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Do not fight against your relatives. Go back home. For what has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the message of the Lord and did not fight against Jeroboam, who was the king of the northern kingdom. So what happened in this story... I hear things falling all around me. What happened in this story is that Rehoboam listened to God and the nation of Israel split into two nations without a war, which in itself is an amazing miracle. But here's the bad news. Neither nation, now Israel is two nations, the nation of Israel, which is the ten tribes, and the nation of Judah, which is the one tribe plus some the Levites. Neither one of those nations did the right thing from that point on. Now, you're, you may know, if you've read Kings or Chronicles, you may know that each kingdom had its ups and downs, that the southern kingdom had more ups and the northern kingdom had more downs. But what you don't realize is that both kingdoms ended in defeat. The nation of Israel fell to the Assyrians, and later the nation of Judah fell to Babylon. Both kingdoms fell. But they didn't fall because of their politics or their, econ their economics. They fell because they turned their backs on God. And that's the issue. That is always the issue. The issue is never economics or politics. The issue is always spirit and who your God is. <clears throat> Sorry. A nation... Man, I, I hope people hear this. A nation who will make the God of heaven their God and Jesus Christ their Lord will prosper. <clears throat> Any nation who doesn't will not. And here's why. Here. In the book of Revelation, I bet a lot of you guys have been reading some Revelation lately. And I, I do want to warn you, reading the book of Revelation with a newspaper in one hand and the book of Revelation in the other is not a good idea. It's been done before and usually ends badly. But there are so many important principles presented in Revelation that are relevant to, for every time period of the church since it was written. And one of those principles is the principle of the beast and the prostitute. If you got kids in the car, I'm sorry they heard that word, but here it is, okay? And in that story, if you read Revelations, you find out that the beast and the prostitute pretty much destroy each other. And, and I love what Vody Bauckham says about it. He says, the beast represents the stick that beats the people into submission, and the prostitute represents the carrot that lures the people into submission. But what you need to understand is that they both end up destroyed. They destroy each other, actually. Now, what does this have to do with this message? Because it doesn't sound very encouraging, right? Well, here's what it has to do with this message. There is no future forward without Jesus. Any plan that our governments come up with, that our churches come up with, that does not make Jesus its Lord and God its purpose will fail. It will not succeed. We as Christians need to embrace that truth, share that truth, and understand it. Because from the way I read Revelation, that the, the world that's without God, their answer is always man, man, man. 
But a Christian's answer is always God, God, God. Amen? So the nation of Israel didn't handle it well. So I, all of that was introduction for this idea. What if God has given us, even though it may have come through the hand of the enemy or other men or both, what if God has given us as believers in Rock Springs, Wyoming, what if he's given us a do-over? What if he's given us a chance to look at life anew and to take a new step forward out of pandemic 2020? Let me read you a scripture out of 1 John. This passage, I cannot get out of my head lately. It has, it has taken me to my knees. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. I want to stop there for a second. That verse is smiting my heart. Because I realize there are times in my life that I struggle knowing whether or not God loves me, or I struggle experiencing His love. And here's this verse out of this particular translation, the New Living Translation, is wording this in such a way that's saying, hey, if you love the world, it's, there's this con you are not going to have or experience or feel the Father's love within you. Verse 16, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father but are from this world, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, I'm going to come back to that phrase, but I want you to hear it. I want you to put a pen in it. I want you to, to hear those words. Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, before you get all anxious about it, just wait a minute. Don't freak out. Because there's some real truth and real joy in that. But first, I want to throw this out, okay? This is our do-over. What if? So I know you love what-if questions. I ask them all the time. So here's a big what-if question. What if we stopped believing in the world? What if we stopped believing in the world? I'm going to tell you what, guys. How many times is this world going to fail us before we stop believing in it? How many times are we going to play by the rules and get wiped out and then be surprised that the world failed us? What would it take for us to understand that when we play by the rules, whatever they are, we get crushed? When you break the rules, you get crushed. Am I telling you to, to lose all hope? No, I'm telling you to move your hope. I'm telling you to stop believing in the world. It will never come through for you. It will not even obey its own rules. It will not do what you ask it to do. It will not. It will never obey you no matter what you do. Do you believe that? I think, I think most of us, at least I did when I was younger, I, I get frustrated you do things right, invest like you're supposed to, save like you're supposed to, whatever it is you're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, every, the bottom falls out. Markets collapse. You lose a job. Uh, you end up burning your retirement because you have no other income. And you're like, what happened? I was doing everything right and doing it wrong. And here's what I think has happened. 
I think we live in a world where they gave us the rules to checkers, but we're playing football. They gave us the rules to checkers, and we're trying to move our little checkers around the board, and we're trying to jump our opponent, and when we get tackled, we're like, hey, that's not in the rules. And so that's what I'm here to tell you. If we stop believing in the world and move our faith entirely, entirely into God and into Jesus Christ, place our faith there because Jesus is the rules, he is the command, he's fulfilled all the commands, and he's made it all right and perfect. So what if we stopped believing in it? And what if we stopped asking the world to give us what it can't give us? And what if we took that last phrase? It's the ones who do what pleases God, who live forever. When I read that, I'm like, okay, what pleases God? Because you read the book of 1 John, he talks a lot about obeying God's commandments and doing, uh, just living in obedience. But you know me, I'm not that smart. I'm like, God, what are the commandments? What is it you want me to do? So 1 John 3.23, John takes a minute and kind of summarizes it for us. In John 3.23, 1 John 3.23, he says, And this is his commandment. When I read that, I'm like, oh, good. Thank you, John. I appreciate it because I needed someone to point out what I could not see. This is the commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. This is John's summary of pleasing God. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I say believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not talking mental assent, and I really don't have time today to, to fully break down what it means to believe in the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you a verse that does a good job of it. But I, I want you to understand, believe in the name of Jesus isn't just, oh yeah, Jesus was a dude and he died on a cross. That's not what I'm talking about. Believing in the name of Jesus is actually believing that he has authority and who he is and that he has the power to tell us what's right, what's wrong, and his commands are right. But also... He says to love each other. So let me jump into Matthew 16, 24, that explains what it means to believe in Jesus pretty well, and also jumps us into the next point I want to make. Verse 24, Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you wants to be my follower, anybody want to be a follower of Jesus? Before I, throw, Here comes the left hook. You ready? Nope, not ready. It's okay. It's okay. It's coming anyway. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. My wife the other day made this amazing point. I, I try not to let her know when she makes good points. She gets to preaching more when I do that. But she said, crucifixion is a slow death. And I thought, man, that's a good word. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. So, yeah, what if we stopped believing in the world? But also, what if we gave the rest of our lives to God? What if we gave the rest of the minutes, the rest of the breaths, the rest of the words that we have in our life, what if we gave them all to Father God? What are you waiting on? I mean, really, that's what Jesus says. Jesus' description of discipleship was not soft, right? And so let me ask you that question and think of it as we work through this together this morning. 
what are we waiting on to give everything to God? Are we waiting to have enough money saved so that we can go wherever he sends us? Maybe we're waiting to finish a degree or some educational level or some training. Maybe you're waiting for the kids to grow up and and move out. You know that's not going to happen. They're going to stay forever. I'm sorry. It's, it's, It's easier when you laugh. Thanks for these guys over here laughing. But anyway, what are we going to stop waiting on? Because the Word of God says to me that today is the day of salvation. Not next week, not next year, not after the kids are gone, not after enough money's in the retirement account. The, the Word of God says to me that today is the day of salvation, and there are people today in my circle and in your circle that need to know about Jesus Christ and the Father's love for them and the Holy Spirit's power that's available to them and in them. People need to know. And that's our job. And that's part of laying down your life for God. It's beginning to to realize that where you are right now in this moment is your mission field. Have you ever ever read the Gospels and read the story of the disciples and, and kind of paid attention to how Jesus trained the disciples? I bet everybody in here has worked for someone that trained by throwing you into the fire, sink or swim. You know, that's how my dad tried to teach me to swim, but then after CPR, he just realized I wasn't smart enough. And so we need to realize that as you, that, that God is, Jesus trains on the field. Now, our American Western thinking is, well, to go on the field, to be on mission, we have to, to go and train and sit in the classroom. Jesus didn't do the classroom thing. He said, here, go. Go, learn. What'd you learn? Where'd you fail? And then he would point out, the lessons. That was how the Hebrews did it, and that was how Jesus Christ did it. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> if you want to grow in your faith, you cannot do it apart from the mission God has for you. If you want to grow in your faith, you cannot do it apart from the mission that God has for you. God will train you and bring you close in your mission. He will not train you, bring you close outside of your mission, and then put you in the mission. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is that where you are right now is where you need to be, and in that place is opportunity to grow in your faith and grow in obedience to Jesus, make a difference in the world as you are on mission. Does that make sense? So what about this? What what if we stopped believing in the world and started believing solely in Christ, and what if we, we decided today to give the rest of our lives to God. And we started living a different way. We started living in a way that said, I'm going to find out what Jesus said, and I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm not just going to go to my small group and go, yeah, that was a good thing that Jesus said. I'm going to actually start taking steps of faith to experience the power of Christ's obedience in my life. What if we changed that? What if we changed the way we spoke? What if we started speaking kindly but plainly to people? You know, a lot of times we're afraid to share our faith. We're afraid to tell people what God might have to say about a situation or a moment that we're in. And I'm not talking about preaching down or condemning people, but I tell you what, if a moment's going to be fully redeemed, it's got to have some kingdom in it. If a moment is going to be fully redeemed, it's got to have some kingdom in it. It's great to do good things. 
But it's also great when you do good things and you make sure that the kingdom of God is in those good things. How does that happen? It happens when we share the reality of God's love, the truth of who God is to you and to others, and the truth of Scripture, the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christ in any situation. And that's what change our future. What if we tra- change the way we taught our children? For you moms and dads, whether you, they're older or younger, you're just getting started or you're going to get started. When you think about your children, what if rather than teaching them to get along in a world that's always going to disappoint you when it breaks its rules, what if you taught them that they were in a world at war It wasn't going to be easy. You prepared them to be tough and to depend on Christ. What have you changed the way you parent because you had given your everything to God and you realized everything was kingdom? Now, I realize some of the things I'm saying may not make a lot of sense to some because the truth is these are spiritual words. And, and sometimes it takes a heart, often, well, always, it takes a heart that is leaned into the spiritual to understand them. And as you do that, though, as you ask Jesus to open your heart and your eyes, it's going to give you a heart of compassion, and it's going to set you on mission. And it's going to take you to a place where you're no longer okay, that there are so many people who aren't okay. And that's where Jesus trains you. Now, let me jump into my last scripture, and I'll be done. John 4, 34. Well, you know, you hope I'll be done. John 4, 34. Jesus explained... My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So my last what-if question, what if we discovered real satisfaction? You see, Jesus, this is out of John 4. He's, he's sitting out there beside a well watching all these people come to Christ or himself. And what he's done is he had taken a moment that was thirsty and he would filled it with kingdom. Read John 4 for yourself. It'll help you understand what I mean. He'd taken that moment of thirst and filled it with his Father, with himself, and with kingdom. And when he did that, what happened was people responded. That's what happens when you proclaim Jesus. It, it attracts some and it repels others. And in that moment, it attracted this city, Sychar of Samaria. And he's sitting there watching these men and women and children who had no hope. They didn't even have a solid faith. They had abandoned their own Jewish faith and and moved into a, a Hellenized Jewish faith. And here they are coming out. They have no hope, really. But they now meet the Messiah, and they begin to have hope. And Jesus is watching the birth of hope, and he's feasting. He's feasting on people coming to hope. He's feasting on watching people acknowledge Father God and acknowledge Him as their Messiah. And my friends, that satisfied Him. So much so that everyone left Him to go get some food because they were all hungry. And by the time they returned with literal circumstantial food, Jesus is no longer hungry because He is satisfied by watching and fulfilling the work of God. As Americans, that's a message we need to hear. Because like the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, we can never hear enough, never get enough, never save enough, never spend enough. And here's Jesus satisfied. When's the last time you were satisfied? And I'm here to tell you, the only way you'll know satisfaction is in Jesus Christ, Father God, and Holy Spirit.
That's the only way you'll know it. That's the only thing that satisfies. Everything else is escape. It's adventure. It's distraction. It's whatever it is. But it's not satisfying. And I'm here to tell you that if we could find what's truly satisfying, and we could know Jesus and be satisfied with him, and we could realize that everything in our life needs to have Jesus in the middle. The Father is its purpose, and the Holy Spirit is its power. Everything in our life needs to be done inside the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And as we do that, as we step into that, as we ask God to empower to do this, we are satisfied. And if we don't find our satisfaction that way, we're going to be like Mick Jagger. I can't get no. I'll stop right there. That's, that's not a good song for church, all right? But we're in a parking lot, so I did it. How many of us will spend our lives on the wrong things only to one day find that we robbed ourselves? before God. I don't want to do that. I don't want to come out of this pandemic, panic-demic 2020, the same way I went in. I, I want to come out stronger. I want to come out more dependent upon Christ. If, if you accuse me of having Jesus as a crutch, you were wrong. He's my very life. That's how I want it to be. I want to depend on him more, not less. I give up. I want to be able to say when, this, when we move on to whatever the next phase is, I want to be able to say, Michael, Michael Maynard, uh, he died April 2020. He ended. The Michael that came out of that, he's a Jesus freak, man. He's after Christ completely. I want something in me to end because I want something God has for me that's new to begin, I, I want us all to have such a compassion for our community and our state and country and world that it is no longer okay with us that people aren't okay. That it's no longer okay for us to sit in safety and comfort while many suffer. I want to live my life in such a way that when I get home... <laughs> I know, I'll, I know we'll hear, uh, good, well done, good and faithful servant. I just want to use this life to represent Jesus completely. That's what I'm asking you to consider and asking you to do, quite frankly. I'm asking you to let this thing level you up. I don't know what leveling up is for you. I'm not trying to define it, but you do. And it may mean more prayer. It should definitely mean more prayer. It may mean, and I hope it means, that you'll, when you go back to your small groups, whether they're online or, or whether they're in a living room, I hope what it means is, is rather than just intellectually getting the information out of the Bible, you will start asking the hard question of, how do I actually do this? How do I obey the Scriptures? How do I do what Jesus said? And I also hope that you will have a heart about you that says, worship team, if you guys want to come on up, if you have a heart about you that says, I want everyone to know Jesus. I want everyone I know to know Jesus. I want everyone I don't know to know Jesus. Have you ever heard that quote? I, I think it was Oswald Chambers, but I'm probably um, mislabeling it. But he said, he said something about how is it right that anyone should hear the gospel twice 
when so few have heard the gospel once. Oh, man, what a, what a strike. What a, what a bruise to the heart. I thought as I read that quote, or maybe I heard it in a sermon last week, but as I thought through that, I thought, man, I bet I, I clearly presented the gospel more than 30 times last year. Michael, when he spoke, he does it every time as well. I, I bet there was a, some kind of approach at it more than, you know, pro- probably all 52 weeks we hit on it at least in some way. And there's so few, so many that haven't heard. And I want to take that on. I mean, what if we, as Ordinary Faith, just said, I want to make sure every ear in Rock Springs, Wyoming, hears about Jesus Christ? I mean, seriously, how can they reject it if they never even heard it? And so, I know it's a big bill to fill. I know I'm asking a lot. But I think the times call for strong people, for people who are willing to be more than they have been. And so I pray that I and that we will rise to the challenge whatever Father God lays before us. Father, thank you. Thanks for a chance to share your word. Thanks for that big, awesome hole in the sky so we didn't have to do it in the rain. You're really cool. And Lord, I pray that as we worship some more, that you would let us come at this message simple and humble, but come away from it going, God, what do you want me to do? And then, God, give me the faith to do it. In Jesus' name I pray.